Hi, I'm Georgina Hudson from GeorginaHudson.net. This podcast has been created to support you in your path of self-awareness and well-being and to draw a roadmap together to align mind and heart. Today's topic is the second part of sex in stable and long-lasting relationships. What a topic. And the first part was super, super um, popular. For more information about what I do and about me, uh, you can visit my website on GeorginaHudson.net or my Instagram account, GeorginaHudson.coach. Hello, 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 hello. What's up, people? How are you today? This week's podcast is the second part of a two-part series on sex in stable, committed, and long-lasting couples. And both my husband, Luciano, who is joining me right now, and I have been touched by each of the lines we have read because we have gone through a lot together, you know, us, and because we have heard friends, colleagues, and in my case, clients, talk about this topic. So in this second part, we will share more ideas and we are also going to be sharing our personal experience. Before we continue, welcome Luciano. Welcome and thank you for giving me this opportunity to keep my job. <laughs> okay, <laughs> You are going to continue on the air, let me tell you yeah, now. And today talking about very intimate topics, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you and I, so yeah. very challenging. Yes, if you are listening to us and have missed the previous podcast, podcast number one about this, you can listen to it on my website or on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. And we really encourage you to, to do it because it's going to give you the framework for what we're going to be talking today and the background. But Luciano, could you please briefly summarize what we talked about in the last podcast please yeah luciano the summarizer so i think we outlined three main points mm-hmm. uh, one was differences between intimate relationship and erratic connection right. and the importance of integrating both in a stable relationship mm-hmm. you know you remember cultivating gestures the importance of minimal gestures that deepen intimacy and also reviving mystery and anticipation in the cup Number two, the importance of taking care of ourselves mentally and emotionally and physically, mm-hmm. you know, to have more energy, feel more fulfilled and enjoy that well-being at the sexual level as well. Yeah. And finally, we talked about how mindfulness can be an effective way to relax, to let go and to have our senses wide open while having sex. Exactly. Yes. And when it comes to making love, there are many ways to do it. And I have a friend who, with her permission, shared with me a practice that she has with her husband. And I thought it was great. So they agree to kissing and touching each other with the condition of not going any further. And I thought it was genius because that creates a lot of mystery, anticipation and all the things you were mentioning. And I also thought about other things we could do to revive eroticism in the couple. And I suggest, for example, taking a bath together where each person baits the other, but they don't go any further. You know, all those things create a lot of, you know, willingness to go. Yes, it's the old recipes that we always forget, you know, with, yeah. with the 
day, daily um, tasks and responsibilities and so forth and so on. So, mm -hmm. you know, coming back to the sense of exploration and curiosity, encouraging each other to try new things, exploring fantasies and experimenting with different techniques yeah. that can enhance pleasure and intimacy. Mm -hmm. You know, novelty and creativity are important to approach sex intentionally and not as something that has to be done or checked out as in a to-do list. Right, yeah, right. And many times with all the hustle and bustle of life, we leave eroticism, sensuality and sexuality for last. And that's why it's not surprising that excitement is often lost, a bit at least, as time goes by. Because we're not nurturing something that can generate anticipation, desire, or eagerness. And I also want to emphasize here that each couple is unique. And as long as there is consensus on how they want to experience their intimacy, it's perfectly fine. I know clients and friends who are highly intimate and sensual, but not necessarily sexual. So open communication about what is okay for both people or the number of people that are in the relationship is essential. So we need to create a safe space for these conversations without judgment, without criticism, and being able to share all our vulnerabilities. Yeah, and, and you're talking about communication and human communication. It is, and it is super important, at least in my experience, to understand the other person's interest mm -hmm. and the other way around yeah. to be sure to make sure that the other person knows what's what you are feeling inside mm -hmm. so honest and compassionate communication that yeah. is key to understand each other's needs and desires yeah and emotional difficulties for example such stress anxiety mm -hmm. sadness or unresolved past conflicts that's so important mm. Maybe one of the two doesn't feel a very strong sexual drive mm -hmm. due to these reasons, and that can create barriers to intimacy and affect sexual desire. Right. That's why uh, an open communication and holding loving space for both is crucial. Yeah, that's very, very true. And many times when we are not feeling well, we project it onto intimacy or our partner. And, and now is when we want to share with you something that happened to us. We're going to be vulnerable with you about something very private. So I had a very difficult year a long time ago. I don't remember how many years ago, but it was a long time ago when I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. And sometimes I think it was burnout. I don't know what you think, Luciana, but at that time nobody talked about uh, burnout. And nobody knew what was going on with me. But the truth is, I had blood tests that were not fine and I was tired all the time. So very broadly, I felt exhausted at all levels, mm -hmm. emotionally, physically, mentally. It was awful. I had lost motivation for the things that used to inspire me and the slightest effort required from me overwhelmed me. And rough times. Mm -hmm, it was really hard. And I have to admit that thinking about making love brought me down. <laughs> I've always loved you deeply, and you know that. But at that moment, I remember being afraid of your hugs. 
you know, when you embraced me, I was mm-hmm. so afraid because I thought there were an invitation yeah. for something more and I wasn't ready for something more. Yeah, I remember those moments when, when I wanted to hug you and, and you were like like a stick. You, you were so tense. Mm-hmm. It was difficult because I, I didn't know how to come closer to you. And, and luckily you were you were undergoing treatment or some kind of, I, I don't remember if yeah. psychologist or coach at Both. that time. Both. Uh, but I, I do remember that you could explain to me that it wasn't about me. It was about you, it, but it was about the face you were going through. And it wasn't easy for me to talk about that because we assume sex should come up naturally. So it was a very tough experience because I had no desire for any intimacy and that generated a lot of anxiety as a result. And I wondered many times if I would ever feel any sexual drive at all again. So imagine. And I was also thinking about why I was going through all that and I thought other people had all figured it out and I was suffering and why me and all those questions. So um, I must admit, I asked myself if I would be better off alone. Not that I wanted to separate from you or, or divorce you know, from you, but I didn't feel it was fair for you or for us to have me feeling like that. And for the people who are listening to me, I want to share that those thoughts weren't coming from me, but from my anxiety. That, that was my anxiety talking. I got caught up in my head with all that mental chatter as a defense mechanism against the great pain and the grief and the frustration for feeling so exhausted and demotivated uh, all the time when I had been the exact opposite. So I was grieving. It was a very difficult time. Yeah, I remember that we signed in front of a lawyer this agreement. <laughs> no. <laughs> it wasn't like that, but we agreed that when, when I hugged you, you could relax because it was just that mm-hmm. hug, nothing else. You remember? Yeah. Yeah, and we started practicing that. Many, many of the things that we have shared throughout the podcast mm-hmm. from vulnerable Uh, conversations to breaking free from our routine without any expectations, but just having fun, you know, yeah. and even seeking the best specialist who could help you. Yeah. But but I think what helped you the most was putting mindfulness and self-compassion into, into practice because you had set them aside at that yeah. time of mm. your life. And mm. I don't know if you want to share that. Well, yes, this is becoming very intimate. I don't know it was going to take this turn. Not, of course, I'm going to share this. So um, I had been meditating for a long, long time. And, and the self-compassion comes because I always think that meditation, mindfulness and self-compassion are the two wings of a bird. You can be very mindful of how you feel and your internal universe, but without self-compassion, there is something missing. So I was feeling so exhausted. And I was feeling so depleted and running on empty and criticizing myself so harshly, like whipping, whipping, whipping on myself all the time, that I stopped meditating all the time and I became my worst enemy. So I started little by little. I kind of said to myself, okay, 
start meditating every day because that is going to help you like as it always has. And you need to become your unconditional friend. And I had started to work on autopilot, to live on autopilot without any physical activity at all or barely exercising and with my mind spinning at high speed due to stress. So I started being really, really hard on myself at that time, punishing myself all the time, as I told you, because I wasn't working, because I wasn't patient with the people I love, um, I loved and love, and, and even least patient with myself and the phase I was going through. So I think it was like around seven months into that year. I don't remember very, very well, but it was, yeah, it was like a long time after I started, I was diagnosed with that, that I realized I had to replace the voice of my inner critic by the voice of my inner coach and to invest between five minutes and ten every day to practicing mindfulness meditation. And that created a huge space within me to hold the good, the bad, and the ugly. And my colder parts started to thaw, like defrost. I remember starting to look at you with confidence again because I had lost my confidence in the fact that hugging was just hugging. It wasn't hugging plus sex. And I remember by relaxing, I started to ask you to initiate sexually uh, with the condition I was going to tell you if I wanted to move on or not. Yeah, it's funny because it is couples dynamic, you know, one process acts as a spark for, for another process. And in my case, I was afraid being conscious, mm-hmm. being mindful of yeah. what was happening to you, mm-hmm. then I was afraid that any intimate gesture could be perceived as an invitation for sex because I was so certain of my love for you and I want you to understand that I had no rush to wait for your recovery. Yeah, yeah. I remember when you told me that you loved me so much that you wanted me to get over what I was feeling, to recover, and that you had no rush and no, you know, you were completely patient. You could wait forever, but that used to overwhelm me too. I wasn't in a very good place, spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking. So, you know, you saying that you were going to wait for me like forever added a little bit of anxiety for me. But at the same time, I talked to myself so much. I, I, I engaged in self-talk permanently and I stopped like overthinking it. And I decided to let myself go with the flow and surrender when you initiate it. I said to myself, okay, I'm not going to force myself. But if I feel like, oh, this is okay. I'm feeling fine. Hmm? Not threatened or anything. I feel, you know, relaxed and I'm liking this. So it was a pleasant surprise because once I let go of expectations and once I allowed myself to do what I could, I rediscovered another way to enjoy sex. Yeah, in fact, there's a distinction between spontaneous sexual desire and receptive sexual desire. Mm -hmm. You know, the the first spontaneous would be like the experience of feeling aroused unexpectedly Mm -hmm. and and seeking to satisfy that arousal through sex. And uh, in the other hand, receptive sexual desire is when we first need certain stimuli 
And then the desire for sex arises in response to those initial stimuli, right? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. let go. Yeah, for me during that time, it was a great relief to discover that I wasn't likely to want to take your clothes off. But I gave myself and us, not openly, but in my heart, permission to be relaxed and mindful together because that could lead us to enjoy satisfying sex later on. Not that it was any position, as I said before, but it was an open door. So I let my car down with the confidence you gave me and I will always thank you for that. You're welcome, my love. <laughs> you know, expressing gratitude and appreciation. Very good, student Georgina. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a priority so we can create a positive atmosphere in, in, in our relationship. So uh, regularly, it is not a joke. It is important. Yeah. You know, when, when you regularly acknowledge and, and affirm each other's strengths and efforts, both inside and outside the bedroom it is very important yeah and i would like to say something very briefly about brother david Stendhal rust who always says that it's not happy people who are grateful it's grateful people who are happy and i love that so you know we need to take that in a little bit so luciano i know this is like a big big uh, ask, but would you like to or could you summarize what we've said in both podcasts? Summarizer comes again. Channel, so first, first things first, there's not such a thing as normal in couple or in sex. Yeah. So let's talk about what each couple chooses to do. Mm, yeah. It's big, better big to thing. talk like that. But there are factors that can influence a lack of eroticism or sexual intimacy. And and we can talk about that. For instance, favoring familiarity and Mm -hmm. routine over novelty and mystery. Oh, yes. Number one. Number two, stress or external factors outside the relationship, such as, I don't know, work, bills, schedules, and so on. Yeah. Number three, communication. But the lack of open and secure communication right. when you forget to express your interests mm-hmm. or you don't pay attention to the others, the other person's interests. Right. Number four, physical or emotional issues. And yeah. number five, lack of presence and mindfulness in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And last but not least... The absence of moments that create anticipation and excitement. So, we hope you enjoyed this two-part podcast. If you know anyone who could benefit from it or who might need this, please share it with them and invite them to subscribe. This is the easiest way to contribute to each other's well-being. And we appreciate your feedback, your recommendation and evaluation on any of the platforms you are listening to us. So, until next podcast a A big big hug. hug